Celebrating episode 300 with podcast listener questions. Episode 300. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to an amazing episode here on the Profit with Law podcast, episode 300. I cannot believe I'm uttering that number. You know, recording a podcast requires consistency, absolute consistency, commitment to the process, to continuing to create content every single week. Um, And we are gluttons for punishment here. So we've very shortly after we started the podcast, upgraded to doing two episodes a week. Um, Ultimately, my vision would be to have this be a daily show eventually uh, with perhaps other talent highlighted here uh, and specific topics discussed. But here we are. Uh, We're just shy of our three-year anniversary of the podcast. So we started in March of 2019. uh, So our three-year anniversary is coming up and uh, we're hitting episode 300. So clearly we've been uh, averaging about 100 episodes a year, uh, which averages to about two week, two episodes a week. Um, so there have been times where we've done more than two a week, and there have been times where we did one a week. But ultimately, we've brought you 300 amazing pieces of content, and uh, some of them better than others, but uh, be that as it may, it's a ton of, of value that we've provided for you, and we really hope that you appreciate it. I hope that you appreciate it. I hope that you not only use it for entertainment purposes, but are actually using it to help grow your law firm, help improve your life, help improve your profitability, uh, really make a difference for you, your family, uh, your well-being, uh, not just the law firm, but also, yeah, the clients you serve, the the other professionals that you send business to. Uh, there's There's a whole halo effect that happens from the work that we do here at the podcast. And we don't take our work lightly. I, I take it very seriously. I, I, I feel like I, it's a responsibility. Having started this journey, it wasn't my responsibility, but having started it, once I got you as a listener, I got you to come and listen. I feel like I have a responsibility to you to continue to produce a great show, to continue to uh, produce great content. And I, I want to take this time to just reflect and, and, you know, let you know how much I appreciate you as a listener. Whether you just started listening or you've been here since episode number one, I know that some of you have been here since episode number one, and you know exactly the few times that we've been late. You know exactly when we've done replay episodes, when we needed to, to fill some voids. But you also have gotten a great journey along the way. You've been exposed to great talent. I mean, our, our guests are, are rock star guests, absolute stellar, stellar, um, advice, 
stories. The content is just amazing. And it's not because it's my show uh, that I say that. It's because we I just I've experienced the the interview of every single one of these guests. And I think that they are they're absolutely amazing and they bring a lot to the table. And you have a lot that you can glean from all of this all this content, all these episodes that can really help you with growing your firm. It can really help you with improving your life. So if you ever want to go back and binge, you absolutely can. But my team decided that they wanted to do something exciting for episode number 300. So we threw some ideas around and they settled on, we want to run a contest out on social via email, invite the listeners to submit some questions, and we'll address those questions on the show. So we've got a list of questions. We've narrowed it down to five. And that giveaway will take place. They'll take care of that. It'll happen however it happens on social, whatever we're going to do. Um, so if you submitted a question, thank you. You're going to you're going to be entered into that giveaway or you're going to receive whatever you were promised. And I am hopefully going to provide some additional value here by answering these questions. Maybe it's a question that you yourself had or maybe you can just learn from the questions of somebody else. So I'm going to I don't have permission to use people's names. I'm going to use first names only. Um, and the first question is from Barbara. So Barbara is asking, if you have a small solo PI law firm with a marketing budget of $2,000 a month, what marketing channels would you suggest for such a small budget? Would you choose pay-per-click, ad or funnel, local service ads, or do you have any other suggestions? Would you alternate throughout the year or stick with one channel? I love this question, Barbara, because... There's so much here. There's so much to, to dive into. But I want to first focus in on the first thing that you said, or one of the first things that popped out to me was that you call $2,000 a month a small budget. And we have to be very careful when we're operating our law firm not to use adjectives to put us into a place where we feel like we're being judged in some way. Okay. Saying it's a small budget is putting a judgment around it. Small compared to what? It's not small compared to $20 a month. It's not small compared to $200 a month. Yeah, it's small compared to $10,000 a month. So, and, and the reason why I, I wanted to grab this first is, is not to, to <laughs> not in any way to, to put you down. I, God forbid, it's not, you know that that's not what I'm after here. I think it's important to understand that we we can't look at things as small and big because as soon as you do that, you put yourself into this position where you feel like I have to make a decision that is going to make the best use of this little amount of money that I have and that's all I've got. If you put $2,000 a month into pay-per-click and it started generating you $100,000 a month in clients. The very next month, would you put $2,000 a month into it? Or would you put in more? I ask you that because we're talking about this like it's a finite thing. Like, I okay, I decided on January 1st, this is my budget for marketing, and it's set. It's set in stone. 
One of the best things you have going for you as a small firm owner is that you get to change your mind every month. Now, it's also one of the worst things you have going to, going for you because you get to change your mind every month. But the reality is, is that you don't have to be as finite, as specific as somebody who's running a you know $100 million firm and they set a million-dollar marketing budget for the year. And now their marketing team knows this is what we have to work with. You're in a unique position where you get to decide every month, is this going to stay 2000 or am I going to change it? So I don't want to skirt the, the question. I don't want to avoid it because you specifically wanted to know where to put that money to work. But I'm not going to answer the question the way you want me to because you want me to just give you an answer so you can know what to do. But I can't do that for you. Instead, I'm going to answer this question in a way that every listener here can learn from it and use it to make their own decision when faced with something like this. Marketing is not something that we just spend money on for the sake of spending money on it. So we could check a box and say that we, we have a marketing budget and hope it's going to work. Marketing is something that needs to be very strategic. And what I mean by that is you really need to think about where do your clients come from? And when you think about where your clients come from, you can start to think about what are the channels that make sense for me to market in. For example, if you're, um, I don't know, what's a good example? If you're a bankruptcy attorney, you probably are not going to find your clients by collaborating with financial advisors, right? A financial advisor is probably serving somebody who has a net worth of $250,000 or more, maybe $500,000 or more. You're not going to find somebody who has that level of net worth seeking a bankruptcy attorney, maybe a business bankruptcy attorney, but personal bankruptcy attorney, highly unlikely that that's your clientele, right? Instead, you'd probably be better off making friends with the uh, the check cashing place down the block, right? Um, and, and, and collaborating with them to meet with their clientele. So you have to get clear on who your market is and where to find them before you can have a marketing discussion. So let's use your small solo PI law firm. And I'm not sure what types of personal injury, but let's just say that you are in the um, accident business. Well, I mean, the, the first place to, to be would be to like, hey, make friends with the police officers and the ambulance personnel, right? But we know that they're not allowed to send business your way. They're not allowed to hand out your card. So that really wouldn't be the place to start. But I'm highlighting that you want to start thinking about the journey of your client, right? Where does your client go when they get hurt? What is the steps of their journey? They first file an accident report, then they go home, then what's the first, maybe they go to the hospital, then they go to a doctor. Once they go to the doctor, what do they do next? Who are they talking to? Who are they counseling with? Who are they asking questions of? Is Google the first place they're going? Or are there other places along the way that they're going to first? And I don't know the answer and I'm not gonna give the answer and I'm not gonna make believe I know the answer. But, Let's say that they went to the pastor of the church first. Well, what if you got really friendly with a bunch of church pastors and showed them how much money you can make for their or help their constituent achieve or receive or whatever you call it when you win a PI case, right? Um, 
And now every time a constituent comes to them and says, hey, father, I was in an accident. Uh, you know, I'm laid up. I'm out of work for three weeks. I need help. All right. Don't worry. The sisters are going to bring you dinner. Oh, and by the way, I've got a great attorney for you. So that didn't cost any money, by the way. No marketing budget needed to make relationships. And really what I, what I want you to think about is I want you to think about your client's journey. What is the steps that they take when they are facing the problem that you solve before they come to you? And when you start to identify what those steps are, it's going to help you navigate and understand where are the places that we can put marketing to work. Now, if you're a solo attorney, you probably don't have time to go and meet a bunch of pastors, which is part of the problem, right? Maybe you need to hire somebody to do that um, rather than spending $2,000 a month on PPC. But sometimes we want to get rich quick scheme. We want the easy out. We want to know where should I spend money to make money? So nothing wrong with that. Um, when you're navigating the different channels, you want to make sure that you are navigating a channel that is appropriate for your client. Don't run TV ads when your people don't watch TV. Don't run Facebook ads when your people are on TikTok. Run TikTok ads when your people are on TikTok. Run Facebook ads when your people are on Facebook. Understand? So now understand the difference between PPC and Facebook ads, right? Facebook ads, you're, you're, you're advertising to a market that doesn't necessarily need you. And you're doing what I call interruption-based marketing. They're, they're there to look at cat photos and comment on their friends' babies. And you show up touting your ability to help them as, as, your, as a personal injury attorney. Same thing as TV marketing or radio marketing. It can be effective, but you need to find those people, which means you need to get through a lot of people who don't need you in order to find the people who do. So you have to have a budget that's big enough to create the traction necessary to get the results that you want. When you're on Google, whether it's pay-per-click or local service ads or SEO, any of those, you're looking to capture people who are actively looking for you. They're out there on the internet asking questions, doing searches, based on their immediate need for a personal injury attorney. That's why that's a better place to start than interrupt, interruption-based marketing. But it's not necessarily the marketing place you should start. In other words, look for relationships first. Look for places where you could get in front of them first that's more strategic than the internet. But when you're done with that, go to the internet. So. PPC, local service ads, SEO, where should you put your money? That all depends on a lot of things. I'm not going to make believe that I'm a marketer, but I will tell you that PPC could be very expensive in certain niches, PI being one of them. Local service ads could be very powerful, depending on how saturated your market is with local service ads. Also, with any of these, PPC or local service ads, PPC, by the way, is pay-per-click. So for those of you who don't know, uh, somebody does a search, um, personal injury attorney in Des Moines, Iowa. Somebody who is doing pay-per-click for personal injury attorney in Des Moines, Iowa will show up at the top as an advertisement for that search. They may also show up organically below that because they happen to be a personal injury attorney in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, so 
there's different results that show up. There's the the advertisements, then there's the map pack or the the list of of um, of offices with a map next to it. And then there's and, and actually before that, so underneath the advertising or advertisements or the PPC advertisements or actually above them, you'll see the local service ad. Now the local service ad has a Google verified um, logo on it. So basically, Google's verifying that you're an attorney before you can run local service ads. So when you get that Google verified, it catches the attention of the searcher, which is why they're so powerful. Um, when they become so mainstream that everybody has them, uh, it's going to become less powerful. But for now, they're very highly effective. They're also can be can be highly expensive. So you need to understand the cost. The I'm sorry, the 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 revenue expectation of clients, you need to understand your close rate and you need to understand how much of that revenue you're willing to spend on marketing to get that client and still have a, a highly profitable business. So assuming that you know that information, you can extrapolate how much you're willing to spend on marketing. Um, but $2,000 a month probably get you 10 leads with local service ads. If you could turn, if you could turn two of those 10 into clients and your average you know, case value is $25,000. That's $50,000 from a $2,000 ad spend. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. So it really depends on how the numbers work out. So you have to actually, actually extrapolate that. You have to monitor it. Now, would I alternate throughout the year? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Pick one method of marketing and get really good at it. Get really good at it. Keep Keep tweaking it, keep making it better, watch the metrics, measure it, and just keep getting better at it. Once you have maximized the potential of one marketing stream, let's try another. But don't try to switch between different marketing efforts because what you're going to get is you're going to get a bunch of efforts with no results. So you're going to actually be flushing money down the toilet if you do that. So hopefully this helps. This is uh, just the first question. And... Um, Took quite a bit of time for that one, but it was a good one. So uh, we'll jump into the next one. The next question is from Beverly. Beverly says, what is your favorite episode you shot, I, mean, I guess recorded, out of the 300 episodes? My favorite episode by far is Sam Malai's episode on Google reviews. And it would have helped if I actually looked up before I started the episode what um, episode number it is, but I'll find it. So... Samulai is a, an attorney who has um, basically created an online funnel to get his clients and he's automated his law firm so that he can serve them um, in, a, in a scalable way. And he teaches that in, in a legal funnels um, program that he teaches. But one of the things that he's known for is how many Google reviews he has. And when he came on the podcast, he had a thousand Google reviews. I think he's now over 3,000 Google reviews for his law firm. Um, and he came on the podcast and he shared his process. And he actually recently posted how many reviews he's at. And I said, Sam, are you still using the same process that you shared on this podcast episode? And he said, yes, he's using the same exact process. He hasn't changed it. Now, to give it color, when he we did the recording, he actually did like a screen share demo to me because we recorded on video as well, but we never posted that video. So um, the audio 
it actually you, you need to like visually follow it but he uses some tools that he shares exactly the step-by-step of how to set those up in this episode. But the name of the episode is Getting Over 1,000 Google Reviews with Sam Alai. It's episode 49. You can go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash 049 to find it. Uh, but that by far, to me, for me, is, is the, the favorite episode. And, and it's because... Why is that my favorite? You know, it, this, is a, this is a tough one. Um, it's my favorite episode because, first of all, I like Sam, but I like all my guests, right? I like how he, everything to him is, it's like so simple. It's like, you just do this, do this, do this. And a lot of people struggle with that. Like they're not, he is a, he, um, <laughs> I was going to say he was, he's an executioner. He is an, an executor, right? He is a person who executes, takes action and he just tries things, tries things. I and mean, if it works great, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They, you know, it just keeps going. And, um, Google reviews are so underestimated, you know, Barbara in, in her last question was asking about marketing efforts. If you needed to spend $2,000 a month to just go get Google reviews, that would be a better way to spend your budget than spending it on PPC and and local service ads and SEO. You you don't realize how many phone calls you haven't received because of your Google reviews because you they're not five star because they don't have the volume. Think about how you shop on Amazon, right? I just bought a towel warmer for my wife for Valentine's Day. I got this idea from another attorney who posted there was a a. a I don't remember where the thread was. There was a thread talking about um, gift ideas or things that people really enjoy or things that they bought themselves. Somebody posted a towel warmer and I thought that was genius. And I said, I'm going to get that for my wife for Valentine's Day. I went on Amazon and I searched for towel warmer. Now, here's the process I used to determine which one to get. I didn't look for the cheapest one. I looked for the one that had the highest number of stars and the highest number of reviews combined. So there was one that had five stars, but it only had like 35 reviews. Then there was one that had 3,575 reviews and it had four and a half stars. That half a star didn't bother me because that's a large volume of reviews. There's going to be some unhappy people in there. But there's, there's, uh, what's four and a half? There's like, um, uh, 10% of the people in there were unhappy. 90% of those three and a half thousand people were happy with this product. That was more important to me than whatever it cost. So the price really wasn't relevant in the shopping conversation. It was which one of these has the reviews that tell me that they are going to provide me the level of service, the quality of product that I want. And that is exactly how people look for law firms. If it didn't get, if it didn't come to me through a friend or uh, uh, somebody that I know in church or synagogue or in a social circle, if it didn't come as a direct referral, the, where am I going? I'm going to Google. That's my referral. When I go to Google, what is Google telling me about your law firm? So, if you're not focusing on Google reviews, you're making a huge mistake. You are saying goodbye to a lot of business, and that's why I think that episode. What was it, 49? That is why I think that episode 49, getting over a thousand Google reviews of Sam Alai, is the episode to listen to if you want to go back and listen to one from our archive. Okay, so thank you, for Beverly, for that question. 
Bob asks, how do how, how does one get free life without burnout? This is a very good question. So Bob is asking, I want I want freedom. But it seems like in order to get freedom, I need to I need to work my bones off, work my tail off to get there. So how do I get there without burning myself out in the process? I love this question, Bob. So here's the deal. The question is being asked based on the assumption that in order to be successful, we have to work hard. And what I'm going to share with you is that that is not true. That this assumption that working hard creates success, it's, 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 a, it's an anomaly. It's false. It's not, it doesn't actually exist um, in the real world. Because we can find examples of people who are wealthy and don't lift a finger. And we could find examples of people who hustle their butts off their entire life and have nothing to show for it. Hard work does not equal success. What does equal success is being wise in your decisions, making the right moves and taking action and not being lazy. What creates success is recognizing that the way to profit from a law firm, the way to make business, to, to make, to make your, to, to gain your freedom in your law firm, both your time and your money freedom come from the same place. And that is the mastery of leadership and team development. The faster that you get a team to do the work that you would have to do otherwise, the faster you're going to unlock your time freedom, and the faster you're going to unleash your financial freedom. Because the name of the game is having more inventory to sell and selling it. The more hours, the more attorney hours you have on staff, the more clients you can take. The more paralegal hours you have on staff, the more clients you can serve. The more other people are answering the phone, the less you are. The more you have someone else doing the books, the less you're doing the books. If everything is outsourced, if everything is delegated to someone else, what are you doing? Why are you getting burnt out? So the only reason that burnout is happening or working hard enough that you think burnout is the eventual possibility or probability is because you're not taking the next step. You're not bringing somebody on. You're not hiring somebody. So the key to avoiding burnout is to delegate. And the key to delegate is to hire. And the key to hiring is to recognize where you're going and being willing to take some risks, bring somebody on, even if you think you're not ready for them. And ultimately, that's going to create the possibility, like my friend Eric Farber, who's got a 50-plus person law firm and spends half the year in, I don't know where he is, I think Costa Rica, I forget exactly where, on an island, authoring a book. Don't you want that? If that's the life you want, if you want that level of freedom, it's going to require you having a 50-person law firm. Maybe not exactly 50, but it's going to require that you have a lot of people on your team doing a lot of the things that you would be doing otherwise. Because once you replace the technicians, once you put attorneys in place and paralegals in place to do your job, guess what? Now you're a manager. Now you got to find a manager to put in place so that you cannot be a manager. You have to get to the point 
to to hone it in real quick. If you're an Apple shareholder, you own a piece of Apple, you get to receive the dividends that the company pays, but you don't actually show up in at an Apple store and say, "Hey, I'm I'm here to work." Right? You have you want to get your law firm to the place where you're you're a shareholder. You collect the dividends, but you don't get to show up to work. That's going to give you the absolute freedom you're looking for. Now, whether you're looking for that level of freedom or you want to actually keep your foot in the door, you want to actually be involved in some way, shape, or form, that's that's fine. That's a personal decision. But when it comes to burnout in the process, that's all creating the right boundaries, uh, recognizing that working more is not going to produce the results that you want. And actually, if you create better boundaries, if you put those boundaries in place to avoid burnout, it's going to force your hand to bring help on sooner, which is going to accelerate your growth. So um, you can get freedom without burnout, absolutely. And you just need to recognize that the key is not working more. Okay, good question, Bob. All right, the next question is by McMillan. And he says, what, uh, what are the secrets of becoming a solopreneur? Um, so I don't know if a solopreneur um, is the, the term I would use. I don't know if that's something that I am seeking or my audience is seeking. Um, a solo attorney is one business model you can go after. I'm not sure it's the right business model. It's not wrong, but it's not going to create um, a level of extreme financial and time freedom. It's going to actually uh, limit your ability for time freedom because everything relies on you. If you're after being a solo practice, a solo law firm, then there's one route that I would take on, on how, how to grow your firm. And I would really get good at, at streamlining the process, getting, getting um, alternative fee arrangements in place so that it's not tied to your hourly work so that you can get as much of the work that you're doing off your plate to somebody else and, and just hire a bunch of virtual assistants, bring in technology to automate things. Um, one of the things, you know, if you ever read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, um, in that book, what he describes is that he was working for somebody as like a paid employee and he hired a bunch of overseas virtual assistants to do his job for him. So he never showed up to work, but he was getting the work done. He was getting the job done. And, um, that's essentially how you need to look at your, when I'm a solo attorney, I only want to be involved at the highest level. I only want to be involved where an attorney is actually needed and I don't want to be involved at any other level. I need to create systems and processes and train people to be able to handle all that stuff. And then I need to be able to charge my clients in a way that they're willing to pay more than they would if I was charging them hourly. And then I don't have to actually show them that it was me doing the work because I'm not billing hourly. Uh, so that's really the 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 key to success as as a as a solo uh, firm owner. But if you're building a larger firm, then uh, the key to success is really stepping out of the role of attorney. And the sooner that you can do that, the sooner that you can hire somebody else to do that, the faster the the results are going to come. Um, but you wanted to know what are the secrets of becoming one. Uh, honestly, for me, choosing to go and start my own business, it was easy. But I, I had a... In hindsight, it was easy. It was a tough decision. 
but I had, uh, I had good motivating factors, you know, um, my kids needed my attention. Uh, it was more important than any job or career, you know, that I was holding. Um, and ultimately you have to find what is your thing? What is the thing that motivates you? What is the thing that, that really pushes your buttons so that you can navigate and identify the, you know, the thing that's going to be worth it for you to, to leave the, the cushiness of a job if you have one and, and start, start your business. Uh, one thing's for sure is the longer that you wait, the more responsibilities you have, the harder it's going to be to pull the trigger and actually make the move. Um, because there's a certain sense of stability and security that you have when you're in a job, uh, that you're giving up when you start your own firm. Uh, the truth is, is that there is no security in a job and they could fire you tomorrow. And it's happened to many people. There's many people who started their law firms because they were fired because they had security and all of a sudden they didn't. Um, so there's no easier way to do it than have that security blanket ripped, ripped out from under you. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's, it's having something that is worth it enough for you to take the plunge. So you need to have that burning desire. And if you have the burning desire, then you just do it. You just take action. You just get started. All right. Last question is coming from Eric. And this Eric is a friend of mine. So just trying to, trying to take advantage of our giveaway. Eric, good for you, but it's a really good question. So Eric wants to know with inflation as high as it is, how do we make sure our rates are competitive, fair, and aligned to what the market is? And it's a really, really good question. And the reason I love this question is because this question has a basic assumption. And that assumption is that the rate that you charge has to be competitive, fair, and aligned to what the market is. And I will tell you that in my opinion, pricing has nothing to do with that. And yes, you need to be recognized that there's inflation and you need to recognize that it's an opportunity to raise your prices because everyone else is raising their prices. So why should you be the sucker who doesn't? Okay. But pricing is absolutely arbitrary. If you, if, if you feel like there's competition, you will feel like you need to be competitive. If you position yourself so there is no competition, you have something nobody else has then you don't need to be competitive anymore. Okay. Think of, um, I'm, I'm, I've been investing in Boeing recently. I think that the, the, that Boeing stock is undervalued. I, and I'm just waiting for, waiting for it to, to rise. Right. But Boeing and Airbus are the only two companies that make commercial aircraft. Now let's assume that, that Airbus didn't exist. If Airbus didn't exist, Boeing would have a monopoly on aircraft. Guess what? They'd be able to charge whatever they want because where else are you going to buy an aircraft from? So they would control the market. As a matter of fact, there's all kinds of rules and laws that are there to try to prevent monopolies, to try to help, help the public from being at the whim of a monopoly. But when you're setting up your law firm, if you can get yourself to be positioned in a way that you have an offer that nobody else has, you can provide something that nobody else can provide, you can charge whatever you want for that. So um, pricing is arbitrary. There's always somebody who's going to think you're too expensive, and there's always somebody who's going to think you're too cheap. 
And the consumer always wants to pay the least amount that they need to pay to get the job done. So your job is to market effectively, to get people to come into your world, not evaluating other people and other, you know, other firms, other options, and to show them why your offer cannot be compared to other offers out there and why you're the right attorney for the job, why you're the right law firm for the job. So um, it doesn't answer the question of how do you make sure that your rates are competitive, fair, and aligned to what the market is because I actually think that you should be coming up with a pricing strategy that doesn't require you to be competitive, that doesn't require you to look through the lens of being fair. As long as you are providing value that to the client far exceeds what you're charging them for that value, you're okay. So if I charge you $20,000 to do an estate plan that's going to save you $200,000 or $2 million, I'm providing the value. Sure, somebody else can do the same estate plan for $7,000. But if I position it well and I demonstrate to you what the value is, you'd be willing to spend the $20,000 with me. Is it unfair? No, I'm providing the value. It's not unfair. Um, is it in alignment with the market? I don't know. Define alignment. Now, what's one, one thing is, is attorneys are, you do have the, the, the ethics side of it. You do have, there are, there are some specific requirements or things that the bar would look at and say, well, you know, you can't, you can't gouge people, but I'd be hard pressed to, to find that you're gouging people. I mean, they're at, at practically every level of, of, of pri the prices that you charge, you can justify it. You know, a really good attorney who's doing merger acquisition contracts might be charging $1,500, $1,600 an hour. If you're a family law attorney in, t in a little town, you probably would think that that amount of money is price gouging. But there are attorneys out there that are charging that. Now, it might be in your specific practice area, in your specific geographic area, that that is a, a, a ridiculous amount of money. But what if we can identify that it takes you five hours to complete the work required on this matter? And instead of charging by the hour, you charge a flat fee of 7500 bucks. You're not saying it takes five hours. It can leave it up to the up to discretion it could take 10 hours if it took 10 hours then you'd only be charging 750 an hour not 1500 bucks an hour so alternative fee arrangements really help you get away from those kinds of problems and and really portray the value to the client because here this is what it's going to cost you it's not an open-ended arrangement you know i'm going to charge you whatever i feel like um so that is uh, those are my feelings on pricing, and uh, we definitely have episodes where we talk about that. It's something that um, I continue to focus on in my coaching programs. Uh, there's, it, it's an art to navigate that, um, but it could be navigated, and you could charge a lot more than you're charging today uh, if you wanted to. But definitely with inflation where it is, with gas prices where they are at the time of this recording, raise your prices. Just go up 15%. Go up 20%. 
with whatever from wherever you are. Forget trying to get, do alternative fee arrangements or anything like that. Just raise your prices and just see when I raise my prices, are am I getting a lar- lower percentage of closing, you know, getting new clients than I was getting before? Chances are it's not going to move the needle at all, but it will move the needle on your bottom line. Um, so go for it. Eric, thank you for the question. Folks, that wraps up episode 300 here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, hit the subscribe button so that you can come back and listen to us again and again. Every time we release a new episode, we're here twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. If you have not yet left us a review, remember I told you how important reviews are with Sam Malai's episode? Well, guess what? We need that for the podcast here. We do have a decent amount of reviews compared to other podcasts in our industry, but I don't do the comparison uh, game. Instead, um, I want to have a, a large enough reviews that uh, it gets your attention um, on the homepage of, of uh, iTunes, not just in the podcast player. So um, go, into, go into Apple iTunes if you can, into, um, into the Apple Podcasts uh, directory, search for Profit With Law, pull us up and hit write a review. Leave us a nice warm review or a nasty one, whatever you want to do. Uh, leave us a review and we would greatly appreciate it. This is how people decide to listen to the show. This is how we grow. We really appreciate you being here. So take care. Stay tuned. Episode 301 is coming your way next week. Have a good one.